This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? Doing well. My garden is coming up. I've got cucumbers, but I've saved them for my grandfather this week. Next week, I'll come bearing a load of crops for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited for this. So, you know, as a project with the kids, we're like, hey, let's start just a, I wouldn't call it a garden, but just like a flower bed uh, in the front yard. And this was going great (laughs) until the rabbits showed up. Oh, no. So um, now we just have a a bunch of stems instead (laughs) of uh, a nice little flower bed there. But that's okay. I'm I'm looking forward to next week and the... uh, bastion of produce that uh, I'm assuming that you're going to bring in here into the studio. Well, we've got a a very good show lined up for you today, and we're going to be talking about end-of-life care and family dynamics, and anyone who's dealt with an end-of-life situation with a family member knows that uh, family dynamics can have a rather large impact. So uh, to guide us through this discussion, we could think of no one better than our very own Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator with Transitions Life Care. Mark, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Great to be back. Mark, Mark, Mark. We have spoken with you a variety of topics and aspects on how to prepare ourselves and our families for the inevitable fact of death and dying. Um, Last time, just a couple weeks ago, we had you on the show. We discussed the challenges faced and how to talk about dying. Um, This is a very timely topic for me personally, which I'm um, so glad to have you on today so that I can listen in and and take some tips and pointers as we are um, having my grandfather, who I've talked about quite a few times on the show admitted to hospice today right after um right after i leave here so it's a very timely topic for us um my family has been very involved in everything and i'm very grateful for them and um, my dad and his brothers and my aunts Um, but there's obviously a lot of family dynamics when you have so many players involved so I'm, i'm really looking forward to this conversation around the complexities of how to better understand and cope with family dynamics at the end of life um, so maybe we start with the very basic question first. How do you even define what is family? You know, I, I'm experience, experiencing this, and um, I, I feel like the family is grow, family grows in these moments. So how do you define family? That's a, a really good question, because our English language really is very loose in how it defines family. You know, one person may define their family as the relatives who share the home together, You know, someone else might think of their extended relatives residing either near or far away. And some really consider their family, their beloved friends and pets as part of their family. You know, there's one really singular premise that revolves around what family should be and ultimately should be. And that's a group of people who share love and commitment to one another. You know, if you look in the dictionary, the primary definition is a fundamental social group of society, typical people consisting of one or two parents with their children. Mm -hmm. And we know that that definition is grossly inadequate, you know, because the modern family structure now extends to childless couples, uh, family as friends. Um, We have other variations of family. 
You know, another definition of dictionary is two or more people who share goals, values, and have long-term commitments to one another and commonly reside in the same dwelling. You know, we, I was thinking about this, you know, um, are you um, in Osmond or Osborne? You know, is your family like uh, the Osmond family with uh, Marie Osmond, or is it like Ozzy Osborne? I mean, there's so many different variations. Um, it's beyond the typical nuclear family now, because today we see that families raise children as single parents. In fact, since the 1960s, 25% of homes now are single parent homes, which is a three times increase just in the past uh, generation. We also know that there are plenty of people who have family and friends helping them together. Uh, they may keep their blood relatives as part of their family, or they may decide that they have toxic relationships with their blood relatives and adopt their own family. So there's many different ways to look at a family unit um, and all over the globe, it's looked at differently. You know, extended families can live really far apart, uh, but generally they're people who have history and heritage and tradition that come together. Um, and it's facing this pandemic, many families actually have grown closer together through the technology of Skype and FaceTime and Zoom. Um, so a lot of it is really boils down to what you define your own family is. So I would ask you when you think of your family now and the situation you're in how are you defining or explaining it to somebody i think it's a really good question i you know i with my grandfather's situation we in we have my my stepmom my dad's my dad's wife who uh tabitha shout out tabitha um who has done an amazing job being a caregiver for my grandfather with alongside my dad you know um even this weekend we we were taking food over on father's day she was helping out or tidy up around the house and 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 really be a partner for my dad and also a, a huge part of our family um and she's been such a huge help and my aunt and and her husband have been incredible they're definitely the extended part of the my family but um directly to my grandfather um a, a new interesting aspect that has been brought into our family and i would think that my grandfather would um consider her part of his closest circle is his uh nurse his caregiver um and she is there every single day um and she helps bathe him and take care of him and and they he was just talking this weekend about um he misses tammy tammy wasn't there this weekend and shout out to tammy too i don't think i don't know if she listens but um he she gets there every single morning bright and shiny in the morning long before i wake up um and mm -hmm. and gets him out of bed and she they sit down and she makes him and her breakfast and um they sit and have breakfast and coffee together and they sit and talk every single morning and she has really become a, a very huge part of his life um she um actually last week brought her new boyfriend over to meet my grandfather um which was really sweet and i'm i'm so glad that he has um found him that we found tammy and that he has connected with tammy and i really do think that she's an extended part of what he would probably call his family mm -hmm. that really goes into the whole idea of family dynamics if things change the dynamic within the family the circle could increase and include people who you never would have considered or known to be family members before 
Absolutely. So that brings up a good point. You know, Tammy will be there today at the hospice admission that, you know, because she is such a huge caregiver for my grandfather and a big part of this picture and how we care for him moving forward. So what factors do hospice and palliative care physicians and clinicians and um, and nurses, et cetera, the whole team take into consideration when they're working with a family of someone who is terminally ill? Well, one of the core philosophies of hospice and palliative care is that the patient and the family are a unit of care, that they're inseparable. You know, I know from my clinical experience working in hospitals, quite frankly, most times families are an inconvenience in the hospital setting, and that's why they have visiting hours. That's not true in hospice and palliative care. And so there are many factors that come into play. Some of the key factors that we look at when we're exploring family dynamics is how, like we just did, how do you as a family define who's your family and who needs to be included in these conversations? Um, What roles do each of the members play within that family unit? And what's cultural? What are the cultural beliefs, spiritual beliefs that are impacting the family's decisions, how they work together, how they make decisions, who makes those decisions, and then the communication styles within that family? Do they tend to have direct communication or is it indirect and passive aggressive? All those communication dynamics really make it uh, challenging. And then we look at the different caregivers. You mentioned you have a hired caregiver within the family. Those that aren't in that situation, we look at who's going to take leadership in caring for this ill person. What is their role? Each person in the family, are they taking active roles or passive roles? And we also know there are some that are bystanders, just watching it happen instead of helping make it happen. And so what role each person plays within this patient dynamic, also looking at the patient's role themselves within the family. You know, when this person is a key um, family member, they are fulfilling roles as they become ill and incapacitated and eventually die. Who's going to fill the vacuum of all the roles and dynamics that person plays within the family unit? There's a fluidity there that makes the communication factor and discussing this ahead of time really, really key. We're speaking with Mark Philbrick. He's the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and we're talking all about family dynamics at end of life. And we're going to continue that conversation right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest on the line, is Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and he's helping us, guiding us through a conversation dealing with family dynamics at end of life. And Mary, just before we wrapped up the the last segment, we were speaking on roles within the family and the the dynamics that happen there because uh, 
one, there's, there's, there can be a vacuum left and Mm -hmm. some people may be put in roles that they're not comfortable with, but it's, uh, that can be a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, it's a lot to consider, especially at end of life. And I, I think that elevates the situation quite a bit. So, Mark, can you explain to us further, what do you mean by all of these family roles and the culture that exists within them? Um, well, culture, starting off with that, when we talk about culture, that's really the collective learned values, beliefs, and behaviors that shape a group of people. So within the family, what are the learned beliefs, values, that really shape how they perceive the world. The cultural influence how they understand the world around them, how they interpret what the illness is, and how they reinterpret who's going to provide caregiving roles. Um, also, their concept of death and life and the dying process. Uh, I was on a cl- uh, presentation recently uh, on how to talk about dying. and. We had a doctor from England, she was a Hindu who called in and she was talking about how in the Hindu culture where they believe in reincarnation, that they welcome death as an opportunity for a next life and very different you know, form of mourning and concept within that culture. Uh, also the expectations of care within a family culture. You know, globally, most people look at their family as the core caregivers in our world over the past 50 years, we've seen caregiving, especially at end of life, as a medical problem where we bring in professional people who do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, culture influences their perception of how the healthcare system works. Do they trust the system? You know, recently I had uh, an acquaintance who died 40 years old. He didn't believe in modern medicine and had abdominal symptoms that led to his death. And as a result, um, you know, he used the culture influenced how they made their decisions at end of life. So the roles is another part of that. There can be dozens of different roles in a family, like every family. Who's the leader? Who would be identified as the leader of the family? Uh, who thinks they're the leader and who wants to be the leader? You know, all of that sort of intertwines. And we also have within a family, when we think of leaders, there is probably a financial leader, a spiritual leader. Um, we have caretakers within the family. Who do you consider the sage, the fixer, the dreamer? Every family has a clown. Who's playing the role of the clown, <laughs> the fighter? Who's the scapegoat, you know? Um, we got to find a scapegoat in the family that fills that role. You know, it's interesting because Father's Day that just passed, um, I took a family picture with my kids. I mean, I started with the two of us, and this picture had six, 14 of us in the picture, my three kids and seven grandkids and i found out that i'm going to have two more grandkids in the next six months wow congrats it's different when you go out to pizza with a family of 14 (laughs) than with a couple um and those relational roles that change the father the mother the siblings the aunts the uncles the faith leaders your friends that's what i talk about roles is there's dozens of different combinations that make it very complex and one person usually fills multiple roles within the family dynamic. It's, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about my situation to come to come back to that and, and relating to that. And even as a grandchild and where I fit in a, in my family role and I think about supporting my dad, I've definitely taken on more of a n- nurturing role. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's a little bit natural 
coming from the industry I'm in and having some of the background and, and the help that I can provide um, with the healthcare side of things, being at Transitions and, and my role in being able to navigate the system that we're dealing, the healthcare system that we're dealing with, I think that I've taken on a bit of that role. And I think about my brother and sister my sister is definitely the cheerleader. Um, she is supporting and encouraging and positive and, and kind of cheers everybody on and checks in on people and is kind of navigating that. And then my brother is absolutely the realist, the truth teller, you know, tell me what's going on. Uh, just mm-hmm. cut to the chase. What's going on? Uh, I, I just want the facts and I need the truth and you know, I don't want to be surprised. Just tell me. Um, and it's been very interesting dynamic and, and this situation and, and um, trying to help out as the grandchildren even um, and, and what that looks like. Um, and I see my grandfather, you know, this weekend we were sitting with my grandfather on, on Father's Day and my dad and stepmom were in the room and he looked at me and he goes, what do I do? And I was like, what do you do? And I mean, my dad and stepmom are standing, sitting there, you know, they we brought him lunch and we were sitting there for Father's Day and having a good conversation. He was like, no, what do I do? What do I do now? And should I do hospice? What am I doing? And he looked at me for that. And it was kind of like one of these moments of, oh, um, I don't know. What do you want to do? Um, <laughs> and I looked at my dad and my dad was kind of like, what? What's going on? Um, and I think that my grandfather realizes that because I can help navigate the healthcare part of things that I've kind of landed in that nurturer role. Um, but it's just been it has really evolved. The roles have evolved over the last, and I, I've, they can change. It feels like you can evolve into new roles maybe. Um, well, yeah, you can um, adopt a role or you can be delegated a role as you found out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly right. Let's dive into more uh, about what you mean about communication styles. You know, I, I've, we've touched on it a little bit. There's, there's different mm-hmm. styles of communication that everyone has and patterns, and it's really important mm-hmm. to the dynamics of a family. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Sure. I, I, one of my uh, favorite quotes about communication is George Bernard Shaw, who said the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that is actually taking place. Um, mm. That uh, it can be very complicated because there's really two primary communication styles, the open style and the closed style. And the open style is where there's shared decision making, the whole family weighs in and has fairly equal roles in their opinions are valued. Uh, there's flexibility within open communication. People tend to be able to share their feelings. They discuss options. They come up with choices and they're open to change as new information becomes available. The other major style is obviously closed communication. This is typically seen in a family where there's one primary decision maker. That one person obviously is an in-charge type of person. They can sometimes be rigid. Uh, Feelings of the group may be hidden or ignored. Uh, Choices tend to get more limited. And they are resistant to change because you have, um, you know, this, this dynamic going on. And within those closed systems there's obviously the risk of manipulation is common that people are jockeying for position without um, you know being very open about it and as a result unrealistic expectations can evolve and it can be very challenging but walking in with eyes wide open as we identify what are the primary styles of communication that we work within that dynamic when i talk about communication patterns it's really observing as we're in that situation, 
do they offer supportive messages to one another? Are there communication blocks or bridges that we see they're crossing? Uh, do they censor their own speech within the group? Um, do they censor other people who are trying to express opinions or, or views? Uh, do they use a mediator in the family? Sometimes there's a role within the family as mediator between certain people that don't get along. And do they stick to a set format in the way they speak with each other, or is that a flexible dynamic? So these patterns are looking at, um, you know, how do people communicate within that so that as we begin to offer information, we can be more realistic as to our approach to that. It's an interesting assessment to make because uh, oftentimes within our own families, we just think of that as that's just the way it is within our family. But uh, making that assessment and then adapting it to your current situation uh, really is key to making sure that everyone is in that correct role and that no feet are being stepped on and that you're making the most out of what your family is already used to. That's wonderful advice. We're speaking with Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator with Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our conversation all about family dynamics at end of life right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF, News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF News Talk traffic. Hey, I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. We have a guest on the line. You've probably heard him on the show before. It's Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator with Transitions Life Care, and we're talking all about family dynamics at end of life. And, you know, Mary, we're of course, we're talking about family dynamics, but mm-hmm. there's there's another word that starts with D and Y, and that's dysfunction, <laughs> uh, which I think a lot of people listening na- to right now can maybe identify with. But then, uh, you know, th- there's also s- some room there within the different roles and making sure that uh, everyone is accommodated, and we're going to get into that. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, it feels like, in all of these things, and a lot of moving people. And even in the rare case that everyone has it together, I s- still feel like this is so complex and you know I can imagine you're dealing if you're if you have what some commonly label as the dysfunctional family and you know everything can be thrown for a loop when someone is diagnosed with a terminal illness and that makes it even more complicated and dynamics and mm-hmm. roles and culture and everything how it plays into it changes as the illness restricts them from fully functioning in that role. So, mm-hmm. Mark, I can imagine that's where caregiver types come into play as a, a key factor in these changing dynamics. Can you tell us more about the different caregiver types and, and what's that all about? Yeah, certainly. The, um, the uh, normal family, I define that as the one I haven't met yet. <laughs> <laughs> or as my best friend says, normal is a setting on your washing machine. Um, <laughs> So uh, illness, as you say, really throws the dynamic and the balance of the family out of uh, equilibrium. 
you know, even as we think about dysfunctional families, they, they function within their dysfunction to a certain degree. But when that family member becomes ill, especially if it's a chronic or terminal condition and they can't fill those roles, two major shifts happen. One, someone in the family or several members in the family need to take in those roles and responsibilities to try to reestablish equilibrium. And when people don't step up, then it gets even more out of balance. The other part is that someone or many people have to take in and step into the roles of that caregiver. So the responsibility of caring for the ill person, but also who's going to fill in the roles when that person becomes ill. And so it increases the burden and responsibilities on multiple people. So they're really, when we think of caregivers um, who are either adopted into this or delegated into this or just find themselves thrown into a caregiver role, there are four sort of significant types. Um, just like there are multiple roles within the family, there are multiple roles in a caregiving situation. Uh, first is the caregiving manager. This is someone who in a caregiving role really becomes the primary decision maker. They're the primary contact with the medical team. They contact the family. They're the conduit of information. They coordinate the division of labor, and they help uh, decide things, and they need to be decisive, but also encourage the family to participate. That was my role. My uh, father became terminally ill. Um, I was uh, the youngest of five boys at the time and the only one that had a medical background, so I came into that caregiver manager role. Um, there's also people who what we would call caregiver carriers. They are the ones that provide that direct patient care, the bathing, the feeding, the toileting, making sure medications are given. Um, and this can be very physically and emotionally exhausting. These tend to be people who go into rescuer mode. Uh, mm -hmm. If no one else is stepping up, um, they could be uh, codependent um, and build up resentment for others not participating. So that's really a red flag when we go in these situations. Another challenge is seeing those who are what we call caregiver loners. They have limited support and resources, so they're filling the role of both the manager, the caregiver. Um, they end up getting burned out very quickly. Their focus really gets narrowed to the point where they're just in crisis mode all the time. And another is the caregiver partners. This is where the family comes together and shares responsibility. They believe it takes a village approach um, they have family meetings, they do shared decision-making, they work together to keep communications open and honest, and they try to come up with a plan of care and an action plan is to clearly define who's going to do what when. So, um, and these aren't fixed. These can be fluid, they can move back and forth, but those are the primary things we look for is how is this family dynamic changing into the different roles and who's responsible. Those are all really important roles, and I can see in in the time of a crisis, these all shifting um, as stress sets in, as exhaustion sets in. You know, as, as a care in watching my own situation, you know, we're all very tired, um, and mm -hmm. and I, you know, I that has impacts on everything when when you're exhausted and stressed. Um, we're having to think about placement now for in a assisted living or even a skilled facility at this point, and it's that sets in and it really brings a lot of stress to everybody. So as we're coming 
to a close on this topic, can you give us some practical tips we should consider in our own families that will help us minimize chaos prior to being in an end-of-life situation with one or more of our family members? Because I cannot say it enough. Please do not wait till the last minute. Um, it is somebody who's dealing with an end-of-the-life situation right now, and, um, you know, we tried so hard to not wait till crisis, and, and here we are. But um, so talk to us a little bit about some tips you can provide. Sure. One of my friends has a saying that says, if you wait to the last minute, it only takes a minute. Well, that is not true in this scenario. Um, this is very complex. Someone, you know, shared with me an insight. If you think it's easy, you really don't understand it. So some of the practical things, and I know this is very hard and very few people will take this advice, but think at the speed of ink. And what I mean by that is start with yourself writing down what your roles are on a piece of paper. And we actually have our staff do this when we hire them. In the middle of a blank piece of paper, they turn, they put a circle with their name in it. And in that circle, they write down all the roles that they have within their family. And then outside that circle, they create other bubbles. Each bubble has the name of another family member and the role that that family member plays within the dynamic. So it's like doing a map of where am I now? And then putting a star in the person that's ill and all the roles that person fills and what's going to change when that person changes. I mean, when this happened in my own family and uh, my mother died when I was 21, um, we found out that she was the glue of the family. After that, there were no more Thanksgivings or Christmas or birthdays. Um, it completely changed the dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is to write down a list of each family, what they will consider in helping fill those roles if someone becomes sick. So you can do this proactively and um, prepare for yourself a list also of what are the cultural influences that are going to affect this? What is the communication style that you have in your family? What are the tendencies for caregiving styles within your family? Who, who has those tendencies? And then really, ideally, this is too complex for you to take on by yourself. You really need to seek professional help of palliative care professionals and hospice professionals who really understand the dynamics of a chronic, serious, and terminal condition. Healthcare is a complex jungle, and you would not venture into a jungle without a guide who'd live there every day. Same thing with this. Get help people who do this every day to help guide and navigate you through this, because it's not a journey that's easy to take and winging it on your own. This is some wonderful advice, Mark, and, you know, taking the time to think about these items and writing it down ahead of time, I think is just so key because, you know, once you're in the the caregiving situation or an end of life situation, the stress and, and exhaustion that hits you, you you're probably not going to want to sit down and do these things, <laughs> even though you need to. So as, as much work as you can do on the front end, um, it would probably go a long way to saving you some uh, additional stress and heartache. Absolutely. Yeah. Mark Philbrick, staff and community educator with Transitions Life Care. Mark, thank you so much for your uh, thoughtfulness and expertise in this conversation. We always appreciate having you on the show. You're welcome. My pleasure. 
Well, we are going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Don't forget you can go online to transitionslifecare.org. There are plenty of resources available to you there for free. There's also information about uh, events and other items that are going on and also information if you're looking for a career change. Maybe you're a nurse or somewhere or maybe this is a calling for you or you want to learn how to volunteer, head on over to transitionslifecare.org to learn more. Transitionslifecare.org. Org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. And Mary, we had a, a wonderful mm-hmm. conversation with Mark Philbrick on family dynamics at end of life. And you uh, shed life on uh, recent developments with your family. And, um, you know, you and I have both gone through caregiving journeys already. And yeah. there's lots of challenges associated with this. And you're, you're going through that again. Yeah. There's no roadmap is my problem. Right. Like, I just feel like, you know, and, and this is what I'm feeling now, and it, and, and I was talking to somebody about it yesterday, it's, who's in charge? Like, you as a caregiver, who do you, my dad's like, who can I talk to about this? And I'm like, um, nobody. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, and, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were starting to realize that this was coming, and we were like, maybe we should try to fit him into an assisted living and get something going quicker. And then we start, I started to do that research and reach out and all these places are on wait list. And it's like, okay, well, we'll get on the wait list or we'll, we'll put our name down here. We'll keep looking, try to find something. And then all of a sudden we're in an emergency. And it's these, that compounds these issues of there's a serious lack of caregiver resources and um, there's no roadmap. It's overwhelming. And then you throw in a, a situation like the one we're in, there's no time to plan. Um, and it got to the point at one, I, I said, what do we do? Like, do we just go to the hospital? And then that is a failure of our, of our whole system. You know, what it, someone's, your parents' health or your siblings' health or whoever it may be that you're taking care of is falling apart and someone has to take care of them. And, and what does that roadmap look like? And it's overwhelming, you know? Yeah. And I can imagine in your situation that everyone may kind of look to you because you're in this world. And I think this just goes to show that, you know, if we all had to, you know, put a little cash in a hat or something and say, you know, who's the person that can <laughs> navigate these waters the best? You know, I, I'd put my money on Mary, but that just goes to show you that, you know, even the best of us, we, we don't know when a situation is going to change, the timeline will change, and suddenly you're in a crisis. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in all these external factors with, you know, coming out of COVID and nursing shortages. And it's it's just a whole new world out there. And as you said, it's, it's really hard because you don't know where to turn and you don't know where to get answers to a lot of the questions that you have. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up a good point of all these other things that are out there that are affecting these things. One of them is workplace. Like, 
I have a job. <laughs> I have a I have a full-time job during the day. My dad has a full-time job. My siblings have jobs. Um, so add that in to everything that's going on and someone who might need 24-7 care. Um, and, you know, there needs to be conversations about job protection for caregivers and um, some sort of leave op- options and paid time off. And, um, you know, there's a lot of organizations that are starting to look at these things and, and considering these things as the um, dynamic of our um, society shifts and the population ages. But it is a very – FMLA is a very narrow definition of who qualifies of um, family medical leave. And um, it it's really, makes it really difficult and an added complication on this roadmap of being a caregiver. Um, and I, I feel that challenge every day. I mean, I'm going for this thing. I'm taking my lunch break today to go handle this thing. And that's my lunch break. But, you know, just add that into the chaos of my day. And it makes by the end of the day today, I'll be exhausted. And my dad is struggling with the same thing. I'm FaceTiming him in for this appointment today um, because he has a meeting that it runs right up to the time. So he's not going to be able to make it. And so, you know, there's there's so many of these um, factors that play into being a caregiver and the overwhelmingness of it um, and the importance of doing some of these things sooner rather than later um, to try to try to get out of these kinds of situations and, and making these emergency decisions. Um, it's it's challenging. It really is. And, you know, going back to the work side of things that uh, I think you and I are both fortunate to work for some organizations that are very that are more on the understanding side of the spectrum. And there are uh, organizations out there that are not on the understanding side Mm -hmm. of that spectrum. And that's very difficult. But even if you are in a good situation, you know, sometimes there's the the internal factor as well, where you may feel guilty, like, hey, I'm stressed that I'm letting my team down, or maybe there's Mm -hmm. a project going on where uh, I'm not able to be involved in that, or I'm not able to keep it on the timeline that it should be. And then there's there's that internal stress that we can put on ourselves. And that's also when you need to maybe take a step back and understand that you need to do what's best in in your best interest as well. And that can be hard, again, Mm -hmm. with the family dynamics involved, uh, taking care of yourself. um, That can be a, a real challenge. Yep, exactly. And financially, you know, I've, I've, it's mind boggling. That's another piece of all of this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay sharing and being transparent with you all that we spend over $7,000 a month on my grandfather's care. And that includes, he's kind of in an apartment situation, like an independent living. Um, and it, on top of his room and board where we have to pay for private duty nursing um, and that's hourly and with the um, nursing crisis that we're in in the middle of all this on top of everything else we're dealing with um, we get a letter that they've increased the the nursing rate um, by hour because of what the faces the the challenges that they're facing with our staffing crisis and um, and the great resignation and all the other things and and nurses are um, rightfully being paid more and uh, which is amazing um, but it it also puts a, a heavier burden on us um, which is okay because we we really do um, value and we're so grateful for all of the care that we get. Um, but it, it just skyrocket. It, it is in, incredibly expensive um, to be a caregiver, and um, so on top of worrying about your job and being able to take time off, you're 
you might be getting paid less um, and having to pay more for being a caregiver. And as we think about things like assisted living and moving up in, in his care, if we went to assisted living, that's another increase. If we went to skilled you don't even want to know. Um, you know, it's it's really hard to think about. And then you add on hospice to that, it changes the way that um, those things are paid for, especially skilled care, um, skilled nursing care in a facility. Um, it changes when you sign on to hospice a little bit. And so you, you have to... I'm grateful that I can help out because I've I'm in the industry. But can you imagine not having anyone to, to navigate that situation? And I just I'm now that I am in it. I am um, I, I feel for everybody that is also going through this. And I've been journaling a lot. Um, I can't can't say enough that writing your thoughts down um, and read it back to yourself to remind yourself that it's okay to be in these feelings and um, keep it private. But um, just write. And I don't edit anything. I like to look at my feelings. Um, I, I like to see where I was. And um, I, it, it has really helped me. <laughs> it's crazy, but it's it's crazy to say it out loud to everybody. But um, journaling and, and really thinking about um, and, and being in those feelings, but also knowing that it's um, that I'm very grateful that I can help out. Um, and it's a very honorable thing to be a caregiver and that someone trusts you with their care. And um, it, it, while it's hard, it is a um, such an important and vital role of um, in the life of so many. So um, just just know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing the journaling and that you recognize that it's, it's a, a bit therapeutic for you. And I think yeah. it's important for everyone to kind of find that one thing to latch on to as well. Otherwise, you, know, you can find yourself going down a spiral mm-hmm. and um, that that doesn't help yourself. It doesn't help your loved ones. Um, so that's good advice. And uh, thanks to Mark Philbrick for his advice and expertise as well. If you miss part of this show and you want to go back and listen to it, you can go to WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button from there, find Aging Matters, and you can listen, re-listen to this show as well as episodes in the past as well. WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button and find aging matters and don't forget you can always go to transitionslifecare.org to view the many resources available to you there transitionslifecare.org mary uh, wptf staff sends our love to you we hope that you and your family are uh, getting through this and if there's anything that we can do to help please do let us know and we hope that you will join us next weekend for aging matters on behalf of mary lucas i'm jason kong thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.